Well, uh, it's Small Business Week, yes. which I think is a, uh, a great celebration. And, and um, I think you told me about that today. How'd you know? I found out five hours ago. Okay, good, good. Yeah, Good. we we will have it on the calendar next year. It's worth celebrating. Well, I think it's fair that we were too busy running small businesses to recognize that it was Small Business Week. Maybe that's fair. You were going with that. We'll give ourselves a we'll give ourselves a pass <laughs> yes. on that one. So what? Uh, so you know, small business. What what uh, what a what a great way to make a living and and uh, and contribute. Tell me about uh, you know the driver. Why why start a small business? I I, uh, I know some of the story, but man, I would say that. If you start a small business, and I didn't, right? I mean, I'm fourth generation family biz, and, and I was fortunate enough to be born into a company that was existing, and it's different, right? I'm not sure if it's harder or easier, but it's certainly different. You know, the challenges are, are probably a little bit different, but I didn't have to have, you know, the moxie to to take the leap and actually start the company like you did. And I don't know, I imagine there would either be a couple of different factors where it was it was so enticing that you just had to do it. But I also imagine there's some some spots for people and and I know your story, of course, but where it almost has like an elective surgery feel. You, you know, you you have to do something or working for an organization or not calling the shots yourself. Maybe that's a great way to say it. It's so excruciating that you would elect that surgery and you would go in that direction as hard as it could possibly be. Yes, to all of it. Um, I was forced into entrepreneurship in in one way. So, you know, working with the employer that I was at prior to starting my business, we, you know, bumped heads is not the right, but it I, it, ju- it just didn't work out. And from from their standpoint, it wasn't working, and I knew it wasn't working. So it was a little bit of forced entrepreneurship. However, I also always knew I wanted to start my own business and I had this goal of starting it before I turned 30. That was just a trivial number that I had picked in my head when I was very young. So I wasn't ready when I started and it was certainly not in my plan, immediate plan, but it had always been a goal. So a little bit of both. Now I will say, so many business owners say, I I knew I was going to be a business owner when I was five years old and I had a lemonade stand. Like, I'd like to say that, but I don't think that's true about myself. Like I was, I was playing soccer. So I, what I can say is I, I was always in leadership positions as being designated a captain on a lot of teams. So I was always in leadership roles, but I wouldn't say I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur at age 5, 10, 12, 15. You know, that, that wasn't necessarily, I was just head down playing sports and learning some great leadership. Well, let me ask you a question. So that word entrepreneur, was that even a word that was discussed a lot? I remember someone referred to my father. So my father would be 102 if he was alive, right? So he'd experienced a lot. He'd been alive for a lot, but, but somewhere in, in my life with him, someone called him an entrepreneur. And I'm not sure he had actually experienced or thought about that word because he was pretty jazzed. I think he and looked it up and said, huh, uh, well, this entrepreneur thing, if I'm one of them, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Did you actually know what an entrepreneur was or was it even called it then? Because I'm not sure that word was quite as prevalent then as it is now, just by virtue of the fact that my father was one, um, but didn't even necessarily know that. I'm not sure that word was as prevalent. Did you even know that word then? No, I don't think so. It's, yeah. it's definitely trendy now. Um, and then, you know, you have the different facets of it. Well, now you're a multi-passion entrepreneur right. and all these different variations. You're, yeah, entrepreneur segments now? Yeah, right. so no, think, I, I didn't. But 
how I got there was, you know, being forced into there and then also having this feeling like it, it was right and I wanted to do it mixed with a really opportune time that on on several different levels. One, I at that time was single, didn't have a family and didn't have some of the other obligations and responsibilities that make it very challenging for a lot of people to start a business. That's one. Two, it was just in the marketplace, the timing of it and the opportunity from the construction standpoint, the MBE market, the projects that were going online, it just happened to be perfect timing that that I, and, and it, as you know, to start a very successful business, you have to identify a problem and be able to solve a problem and have a niche. Mm-hmm. So the, that all came together um, in a way where I, I, I couldn't have imagined it up any better and took advantage of it. The bootstrapping part was incredibly hard. I mean, I, I am glad I went through that, but from a pers- I mean, the toll that takes on you mentally, which manifests physically as well, is really hard to describe. Yeah. So like you said, our, our trajectories to get here were different and hard on different levels where you came in and you're running a business, you know, you have to take over from your father and turn a ship that has sailed in one direction for a long time. You have older family members, you're the youngest. So just different challenges. Mm-hmm. And I don't think one, my journey harder than yours or vice versa, right. but interesting. Yeah. And I think from my side, it would be, um, the, if there was a pressure, it wasn't exactly at that moment, the pressure of not being able to feed myself or my family, right? The, the business in 1995, when I took over was on very, you know, it was on very solid footing. My father was incredibly conservative. So it wasn't like we had a lot of risk out there or, or any real leverage to speak of. So I didn't have that, right? He didn't tie me with some, some massive debt service where the slightest little stumble could take us out. So I, I was left with some runway there. I would say the pressure was, you know, there I am taking over as fourth generation and there's all the sayings, well, you know, third generation normally screws it up. So if you got past that, you got a shot. And I was just listening to that. I never really took it on as pressure, but I did know that, you know, when you have a patriarch of a family, a business pass, there's any number of people that are curious as to what's going to happen. And that's suppliers, customers, just friends in the market. Uh, But from the customer side, what I was always very sensitive to is, were they going to view that as a risk? You know, was Arnold's factory supplies, which is what it was called then, was it a risk because the patriarch died? You know, was Junior going to be able to keep getting me my stuff? Because when you're in packaging, if there's no box, there's no shipment. If there's no shipment, our customers have no revenue. So I always very sensitive to that, or at least I, that was my made up story potentially that the customers were wondering if Junior was going to be able to keep making good on the promises. And maybe it was just that. Maybe they didn't even know my father passed. They just shot the PO through and the stuff showed up. But that was the type of pressure that I felt. I mean, maybe a little different than yours. Well, I imagine with your father's reputation in the area, a lot of people did know. And I can also imagine that led to you fighting this stereotype maybe stigma I'm not sure if that's the right word of well of course Mick you know he's gonna get a shot he's George's son but what does he know like how long did you have to fight that until you felt like you had proved yourself and I know you you're you're 
probably every day still, you know, trying to that's that's in your head. But how how long did it take till you felt like, okay, like everybody that once knew my father that we're still working with respects me. They know me. I feel good about this. Like, I imagine you were fighting that at least in your head, whether it was reality or not for a long for a long time, which is hard. Yeah, I would say um, so take over at 25 and the core people were still there. My mother was still involved in the business at that time. I had a brother-in-law that was still involved in the business. Now, in the last month before my father passed away, which was in December of 95, my mother was out taking care of him and my brother-in-law was out with a gallbladder or something. I don't recall exactly why he was in the hospital, but the lead up to that was me solo doing that work anyway. My mother had actually been out and she was a, a big contributor. We were a small company, so she she had, uh, you know, she was a big contributor. And when my father finally passed away on New Year's Eve, it meant my mother came back to work. So that was interesting. You know, it's like, okay, there were four of us that were generally getting it done, mother, father, me, brother-in-law. So my mother came back to work. So, you know, net, net, it actually was helpful in that regard. Mm -hmm. Then my brother-in-law came back from his, his illness. So starting 95, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty touch and go for a while and trying to get our legs under us and, and making sure that everybody was still, um, you know, committed and focused. It was pretty distracting, but I would say it wasn't until, you know, late nineties. We, we, toiled around. I think in retrospect is the word. You don't feel like you're toiling real time. But we toiled around probably until the late 90s when my brother-in-law exited. Um, we can get into this on another day, but my brother-in-law exited. We had a, a disagreement over some some execution problems, and he decided at that minute to leave the company. And that at least freed me up to start to build my own team. And I would say from that moment on, when I finally felt like I had the reins completely, then I was able to execute and, and start to build my own team. War rooms we talk about and, and we get into a lot. But I would say then at least I finally felt like I had the reins and good, bad, or indifferent, I was going to do it. And, and if it failed, I was going to kill it. And if it succeeded, then you know the team and I were going to do it. If you could... I'm always curious about this. If you could pinpoint one thing, a lot of people are probably listening that they are part of a succession plan or they're there taking the reins over from their father or mother. What would you pinpoint as the single hardest part of that that you had to combat? Uh, boy, that's a great question. I, I would say... Um, Learning all of the different skill sets, you know, I was very fortunate in that I had been exposed to a lot of them. I mean, I, I started working in the business when I was young. I got a C plus when I was 13 and I started working that summer and, but, but building out the rest of it, you know, despite having gone to school and, and, you know, until you, to you make collection calls and some of the accounting components that I wasn't involved in. Yes. I sold in the summers. Yes. I drove trucks. I did a lot of the execution or the more grunty part of the business, but I wasn't involved in the financial components, um, the way I needed to be. So I would say some of uh, rounding out that whole skill set that it took to be effective across the board and be trusted by your teammates and your personnel to say, all right, well, you know, Junior actually does understand the vast majority of what's going on here. So it took, I would say the hardest thing was um, building out the rest of the skills that it took to, to really be effective for all of the different people in the company, being able to speak the language of ops and sales and accounting and whatever all the other disciplines were that we had at that time. There are um, two trains of thought that, I, that I've heard business owners have. One is, 
I believe it's really important to be consistently good, good at everything inside the company and other business owners. And maybe this is just they believe this because this is how they are want to be great at one or two things and then surround themselves everything else they're not good at self-admittedly they surround themselves with the best what has been your philosophy or, or where do you think you fall on that spectrum um the second one surround myself with the best i mean i i'm very tried to be very aware of knowing what i don't know but at the same time I, i'm not sure that you can be blind i mean you know your situation for example one of the things i'm always fascinated by that i didn't have to do making your first hire mm-hmm. you know you start by yourself maybe if you have a partner you've got a you know whatever reason you and a person decide to start a business then you know then you two make your first hire or you go from two to three i think that's different than going from one to two so you know how long do you drive the business by yourself and knowing we've talked about this in in some other episodes knowing that that first investment that you make especially when you're bootstrapping the business you're not going to take bank money and and bring on your first employee that Whatever that investment is, it's coming directly out of your pay mm-hmm. that you're going to get paid that much less in the short term. You know, for you, what was the the turning point where you decided to bring on that first em- employed, right? Where you know, was it like well, there's only 24 hours a day and I'm working all of them. So the only way I can increase capacity is to bring some. What was the turning point for you making that first hire? I would say that's the single most um, requested question I get from business owners that have just started a business in their solo always how do I know when to make my first hire that first hire is by far the biggest jump after you know two three four five have all been exponentially easier than that first one because it's almost like when you make that first one a you've never paid payroll before b you've never had someone's livelihood under your control and you're asking someone that may be leaving a, a very good job to believe in you and to leave a really good life, which mm-hmm. that pressure, like you be, almost become familiar with it. And it's also like you ha- you're not sure at that point if this is going to work. And that's so scary. And then the dynamic of it is for, from, for me, it was my sister. Sure. So then it's family. And I think a lot of people might think, or maybe not, it's easier. It, was, it would be easier being your family. For me, it was harder because I cared and loved this person so much. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I wouldn't have felt like that for, you know, I, I have that same pressure for anyone, but when it's your sister and it's like the, somebody you love more than anyone, it's like, I can't do her wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Well, you get past the trust piece, right? So there'd be any number of, of pieces of that first hire. So you'd like to think your sister at least gets you by the trust component versus hiring someone else, yeah. which just means there's different pressures, right? The pressure, you know, you now have to make sure because if you're going outside and having done this before and building teams and, and recruiting and hiring away from big companies, massive companies and selling the vision like you did. To Which she it, came from PayPal. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. So selling the vision. And then I think what you just said was, and there are times I'm like, holy hell, do I have this vision right? Because now this person's on the line too. Am I really getting this right? Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, absolutely. But I think I waited. So yes, different pressures. Um, I, I didn't have to, I got past, I didn't have to worry about trust, especially when somebody's, she does billing and accounting, so she's in the books. I'm past all that. I don't have to worry, wonder who this person is. Am I going to find out? I know exactly who she is. I know exactly what she's going to bring to the table. But then there's the other side of it. Like, you don't want to do them wrong, and I'm still trying to figure out myself if I'm going to, if this business is going to make it. But I also waited 
so long. Yeah. It was like it was excruciating. Where I think if I were giving advice. I would have told myself to hire earlier. And I think so many business owners battle with that. And then they hire their first hire. They're like, why the hell did I wait so long? But you just don't know. Right. Here and here, I take that back. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it differently. And I wouldn't tell anybody to because the longer you stick it out and the, the more familiar you get with everything. So you have to learn you know, the, the, the finances and accounting, you have to learn the insurance piece. For me, it was bonding. Bonding, yeah. Every, and the closer you stay in the business. That's why I would also tell small business owners, even if you do have cash laying around, which I didn't, beyond just employees, everyone wants to outsource. Once they start getting really busy, let me get a consultant in, let me outsource this. I would say, don't do that. I know it would be easy, but like put the hours in, lose a few hours of sleep, get so intimate with your business because the minute you you don't do that you're you just simply aren't as touch in touch with what's going on and I also believe as a small business owner you have to do things and think differently the minute you outsource that you're using a consultant company that is also giving similar advice to everyone around you you're no longer nothing is original here right right so there are many reasons why it's worth it to stick it out as long as you can mm-hmm. um, and there will never be this defining moment where like yep time to hire right time to hire someone else you've just got to um, Believe in yourself. And again, like you say, sometimes it's just, it has to get excruciating and then, and then you make, make a change. And sometimes those positions will present. I can tell you Mm -hmm. that any number of positions that we didn't have along the way, I had them in mind. I'll give you one example, director of IT, you know, it was a small company. Yes, we had an ERP system, but usually that was run by committee. The accounting folks did their thing. And in each group had subject matter expertise and, and they were the keeper of their domain in IT. And I always thought, well, you know, do is it even a 40 hour job? And then a person that I knew, there was a, a woman that had helped us do our latest ERP deployment. Her daughter became available and never looked, hadn't, hadn't had the, the epiphany, oh, we're there. This, this IT is excruciating. She showed up and it was the right fit and we made the hire. And, and there's been a number of, of um, uh, positions along the way where they were on the radar. I saw the need. And fortunately for me, they did present. I didn't have to go to the market and, and, uh, and they worked out great. They, they, uh, they worked out great. Um, that was one, our first VP of ops, our VP of marketing, who's sitting right over there, didn't have a VP of marketing until John walked through the door. Uh, and those have been some of the, some of the best hires that, that we've made. And it just made it a little bit easier. You know? And it was like, almost if, Hey, look, I, I've always thought about that. There they are. Why wouldn't I get into it now and execute? And in every situation, we were there. And, and it was almost like I got pulled into it, which is exactly what I needed to execute and get there. Now, now what would you say someone said to you, Mick, I'm thinking about starting a small business. Why should I do it? And why would you say not a good idea? And I, that's, that's a very broad question and I'm sure it's going to, you're going to have an individualized approach based on the person and, but broadly speaking. Yeah. I mean, um, fair to say that they've identified something that's in demand, like you said, let's start there. Yes. They've got, they've got a good problem and a, uh, 
in theory, a great solution. Yeah, I think the re, you know the reason to start it is because you have all the belief in the world. You know that that you're certain that this demand that you've identified is completely aligned with the product or service that you've developed, and you're a full believer. That's the reason to start it. And then you know other reasons like you. You know I think both of us. I know you you struggled to work for um, other organizations. I've always been here, but I struggled to work with for my father. I mean, we were like two propeller heads butting together. So if that's who you are and, and uh, you like that autonomy and, and you want that type of freedom and you want to go at it as much as you want to go at it, those are great reasons to start the business. Um, and you, you know, you want control and, and uh, you don't, you know, you want to, you want to break through whatever you want to break through to and, and to be, those are all great reasons to do it. By far, is it a guarantee of success? It's not, it's not enough by itself. But, you know, if you do that, if those are the reasons that you start and you've got a, a solid plan and I don't be business plan, I'm not a big business plan person. You're not sorry, MBAs and, and people out there that are, that are into that. Let me just interject one thing. If I had followed my business plan and hit those projections my, you know, your five year. Yeah. And I only had to do this to get a bank, like to banks to present. You have to give them a business plan. I would have so undersold myself. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that. That's one reason not to get too caught up with the business plan. Yeah, me too. And, and I just mean a plan, right? A plan of execution. Yes. And, and I'm not saying that you're charting out your five year this or that. I mean, certainly you'd want to understand your cash flow, and you want to have certain. I'm not saying just go out there and wing it. That's not any easier. Um, reasons not to start the business, you know, I just think you'd have to be really honest with yourself in, it, it's not glamorous. You know, I mean, the number of people that would say to me along the way, well, you know, you own your own business, whether it was who's picking up the check. That was always a great one, right? Well, you'll just write it off or things like that. There is. Can you explain what that means? <laughs> well, what that write, really you're means? Just, you just write it off. Yeah. So there was always, and this was when I was younger, right? And you had your first credit card and it was generally maxed or pretty damn close. And, uh, you know, the check would come and your buddies that were working at wherever they were, whether they were working at Merrill, I had buddies at Merrill and, and a lot of financial uh, buddies. And they were, you know, they were smiling and dialing. They were on the phone and their their professional development programs, 20 hours a day, burning up the lines. By the time I saw them, it was nine o'clock. They'd been dialing from 7 a.m. to nine. You know, their fingers were bloody and their ears were, were cauliflowered from the phone. And um, the check would come and, it, you know, look around and everybody's arms got really short. And they'd look over at the guy whose who's, you know, name and business name were on the same card. And it was like, well, you know, you get it, Arnold. You'll just write it off. Well, the idea is that, you know, you're somehow going to deduct that or, you know, you're going to put that out as a business expense. But it just means that, you know, you can't even do it anymore. You could at least do a little bit of it back in the early 90s, mid 90s. But it's just the idea that, you know, you, that would be a business expense and, and it's free. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's free. So uh, which is which is far from far from the case. But. But um, yeah, just the, just the idea, you know, it's it's not glamorous. It's really long hours and there will be significant sacrifices to be made. I think that's the main point is that there are going to be massive sacrifices to be made and it, and just be aware of them. You know, if you're a father of young kids, then that could be the sacrifice. You know, in your situation, you can speak to a better eye and I'll, I'll, I'll table it, but that there are going to be significant sacrifices and you should be very aware of where you are at that particular moment in your life. And be honest with yourself if you could actually make those sacrifices and you're going to be okay with that. And, you know, if you're trying to, to make the move later, we talk to a lot of people that are, are into their career and 
they're trying to go the side hustle route because they need income. I mean, I would just be really honest. I would be more, I would be more intentional about acknowledging the sacrifices than I would a business plan. I think that's what I would, would be my suggestion would be really understand the sacrifices because once you launch, you don't get a chance to pull back, right? You, you're going to have to go through with it. And it means that if you all of a sudden midstream aren't okay with those sacrifices, your business is likely going to fail as, as a result, not as a result of the sacrifices, as a result of you not acknowledging them. Do you think it is absolutely critical and required that not only you acknowledge the sacrifices, but that your partner and children, if there are partners and children, are also on board with it? And what if they're not? Oof, that's a good one. You know, I don't know. I, I, I can't, uh, it's, it's hard for me to speak to that when I only knew one thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I was born into it and, right. and, um, you know, my trajectory was, was generally heading in that direction. I was in and around the business. So I was always going to do it. And, I certainly had the option to just do what we were doing, right? I could have gotten up and, and gone to work. My, by the time my father passed away, you know, he was in there from you know seven to five, something like that. Still a ten-hour day, but there was an end to the day, and I could have I could have kept doing that. And it was you know it was a, a much smaller company then. It was I don't know seventh or eighth of the size that that we are now. That would have been an option. Could have gotten everybody fed. Um, but I never really stopped to think of it. I was just in, in one mode. So I'd never really got there. I certainly subjected my family to it. I mean, I was gone dark 30 to dark 30. But um, I don't know that I ever really stopped to think about it, which is probably why I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. What, did you ever stop to think about it? I mean, you were single and solo, but still, I mean, it took a toll on the time that you spent with your family, which is very important. Um, you know, certainly relationships were challenging, if not even impossible in those moments. Yeah, I think I was young enough where I probably didn't think about it, just being unaware, ignorant, naive, whatever you want to call it, which in hindsight probably was great, allowed me to, to start it more carefree than I would have had I known what was on the other side. Um, I mean, I could talk about all the things that you hear all day. It's very stressful. I mean, the physical manifestations, what we've talked about before, it's definitely taken some health holes. And, you know, I, for years I had a racing heart that was out of control, like that, those kind of things there. You can't, can't make that up. Um, And, and I don't, I, you know, those, so all those things are real, all the stress. But I think one thing, and, that I find challenging is to be aware, right? So to really look at yourself and say, is this what I want? And is this truly what I want? And is this best best for me? And I've had a few friends who are arguably some, not arguably, they are some of the most successful people I know who were the best at evaluating themselves. And they said, no, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't want to own a business. I am not into taking on all this risk, but I know I'm really freaking smart and I know I'm one of the smartest people. I'm best at what I do. So they found a really good uh, organization with a lot of growth opportunity and a lot of freedom. And they just locked in on, on who they were, embraced that and have worked their way up. So now they have this foundation security and a incredible life. And now they're you know presidents and VPs and pretty much running up their own business mm-hmm. 
risk-free. Right. So you look at some of that and, and they are successful than most entrepreneurs that I know. Sure. So, but, but that can, cause they were so self-aware, so young and being real with yourself is hard. So I look at that and that's like one of my first pieces of advice. If you can't really know what you want and be honest, you, you might be going into it just because it sounds good or like you, like you want to believe that's what you want. Right. You want to believe that. Sure. But, yeah. and, and that's a real thing. Um, the other part of it, which is interesting, and I've just thought about this recently, but I would ask you if you, do you ever feel like it has hardened you? And made you a little less empathetic than you would otherwise be. Because sometimes I, I look at myself and I've always been type A, but I feel like I, it has done that to me a little bit. And I'm always working on, I'll have conversations with my team and I'm, I'm so short sometimes. I mean, just the other day, I was like, why, why are you being so short? And it's it just because I, there's so much going on. And I think in my head, well, they get it. I have time for a three second answer. But then I look back, I'm like, did it really have to be three seconds? Like, is this just, I continually like am just building this wall and personality and hardness and not as empathetic as I might otherwise be because I feel like I need to, and maybe I do to, maybe that's, that's why things have been successful, but I don't know. I think about that a lot. Like maybe that's something that I continue as I build a business, I've developed this, this hardness and a lack thereof on the other side. I mean, what do you, what do you feel about that? In spots. I remember when I was younger and my father was still alive, there would be certain, there was certain things that, uh, that become not just guidelines, but rules. And they seem very stringent to me. And I would think, you know, how did we get here? Like, wow, that seems, that seems like a lot or overkill would be the word that you would use. How do we get here? And sometimes I was actually smart enough to ask, gosh, dad, like that seems pretty overkill. And he usually had a pretty good reason, you know, well, because back in 1953, you know, such and such did so and so, and the result was, and the risk was, it certainly had a, a, a sound like that. And it made sense after I heard it, but I, but I still thought still seems like overkill to me. I was, you know, 24, 23 years old and, you know, <laughs> blah, da. And, but as, you know, as I got into those situations and still, you know, not as often having been in the business for a while, I'll say, well, never saw that one before. And I think that, you know, when you go through those never saw that one before, and if it's a moment where you got burned, I think, you know, I'm answering a little bit different than what you asked, right? You know, the stresses or having to stop and say, all right, chill out, give a reasonable answer here. Some of that hardness that you're talking about or what I've seen or, or caught myself doing or trying to at least reel back would be in those moments where you got burned or something along those lines that, you know, you didn't end up with a scar that you couldn't feel through in those moments. That's the piece of that hardness that you're talking about. That's the hardness that I'm aware of or try not to, to get pulled into. Um, but you still have to be smart, right? I mean, if it's risky or, you know, you recognize that as a risk that maybe you didn't in the past, then you, you'd be foolish if you didn't react to it as if there was something to protect against or be aware of. So I would say that hardness comes from, you know, risk, protecting against risk. Which often the person you're talking to has no concept no, yeah, right. of that, right. which I'm not always mindful of. And I think... You know, I I will I know that at the end of the day I, I'm signing on the dot signing my life away constantly, yeah. and it feel 
you know, on these guarantees, still guarantee as a small business, I'm still required to do so many guarantees or in a bond, like I'm signing my, my life and your life away yeah. often. Yep. And so in my head, I'm like, well, you don't get it. Why am I stressed? Like, this is why I'm like, yeah, they don't get it because why would they? I mean, they don't, they don't know that nor should they. Sure. Yeah, and I absolutely. can't expect that. So yeah. that's really hard to sometimes disseminate and say, hold up here. Your expectations are off. Like you can't expect someone just to know that. Right. And you certainly can't take that pressure off on someone else. So that that's a challenge. And I think, you know, that builds up and um, taking a step back and, and trying to evaluate that is really hard. Well, that's one of the challenges with being so back to why you may not start a small business. I think when you're when it's young or early and it doesn't even matter how old your business is, but really more where you are in the evolution, you know, in your spot you don't necessarily have a lot of people to share that with. You haven't built out, you know, my, my um, best friend from high school is the director of sales for, for Anderson. And we had a great conversation the other day, but he was telling Anderson me, Windows. Anderson Windows, yes, E-N, Anderson. Um, and, he, and, he, and we were just having a conversation and it was, and, and he just made mention of, he was in the, the director's room of something, but it was, it was a room of very experienced people that all had similar experiences. And that would be an appropriate room to have that reaction, right? Because everybody would be on the same wavelength and they would be feeling the same pressures, knowing the risks. You don't have that a lot of times as a business owner, right? And you're just in the day to day and you're executing. And when you see that, it's not like you can duck into that room full of people that have similar knowledge and they'd all be like, oh, hell yeah. Did you see that risk bomb over there? You don't have that. So I think it comes out real time and it's tough. It's tough to control, right? Because you're feeling the risk and, you know, and at times it could be so sensitive that even kicks in flight, fight or flight, right? You'd have a fight or flight all, reaction all the time, to yeah. it. And you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be aware of trying to control of it because the mammal in you is kicking at that particular moment. And, you, and when you're in a smaller business, you don't have a lot of that insulation or you don't have <clears throat> that room to duck into to talk about. Yeah. Actually, that's one of my, that's one of the ways I try to reel it back probably because a lot of this is reactive and not proactive as it should be. But because my team is very small right now, I can bring them all together and I'm so transparent. I can be like, you know, when I'm signing these bonds or whatever, it's, I'm signing a life way and that has a lot of pressure and this is why I react this way. Actually, that's my way of trying to be like, you reacted wrong, open up, share, right. and we can, it doesn't make it right, sure. or, and I can't pull it back, but, yeah. you know, that's certainly a way, because people deserve to know, and right. I, I don't think, I think the old mind, and your father, I'm sure, would never have been in a room with people, and said, and, and opened his book up and said, this is ever, no, but that's no change, way. and that transparency with social media and everything else, people are just opening their lives up and you have to be transparent. If you're not, I'm not saying share everything and sometimes it's better not to. Like, sure. to, you know, to keep people feeling comfortable and safe and all of that. Sometimes you've just got to bat, do some, you know, fight some battles on your on your own. Mm -hmm. And that's the risk you assume. But I do think being transparent is helpful for everybody. Right. Yeah, how can you expect them to understand what you're going through or you can. <clears throat> why that reaction looked the way it did? But yeah, you're right. No, that, uh, that older... 
um, business generation, uh, the boomers, if you will, you know, there was that very keep it close to the vest or, you know, the wizard behind the curtain mentality at times where you wouldn't share any of that. I mean, I know in our executive meetings, for example, which we have on a weekly basis, it's, it's my direct team and I five and me and the things that, that we talk about or I share are quite a bit different, I believe, than what you would have seen my father share having been around. It was, you know, he had his right-hand man, which was my brother-in-law, and I think they had little to no secrets, if you will, and I don't mean secret secrets, but I mean things that they were privileged to that the rest of the organization certainly wasn't, but it didn't go much deeper than two. I, you know, there wasn't a three or four, even my mother in that capacity had limited information. She wasn't necessarily in a lot of those conversations that would be the heavy duty decision making for the future of the organization. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot different. And, and I think you're right. It, it's not that you'd, you'd put every single thing out there all the time just because, you know, there, there are things that, that we should deal with as ownership, right? And especially if they're short-term um, or they're, they're just momentary noise, you would just battle through those or you would handle those individually. And then you would invite your team in for the things that w- were more team in nature or, you know, if it, if it is a, a systemic problem or systemic great thing, whatever it would be, right? I, I think that's one of the challenges is picking and choosing, you know, what, what do I hold and deal with or battle on my own? Um, and or when do I invite the team in? You know, all right, you know I'm going to battle this for a minute by myself. But the second I feel like it's a heavy lift, then I'm going to bring my team in. We're going to spread it. Those are interesting convers- you know, those are interesting thoughts or choices that you have to make, especially when you're doing it for the first time. Yeah. So timely for me because I have a meeting that I set for tomorrow on just, just this with my full team. And it's like, listen, we've reached a point in the business where we're growing and we don't have what I believe is a model in place that we're going to be able to sustainably scale. And we've got to change our org chart. We've got to change our roles that we've all assumed for a while now. We've got to change our process, basically everything. Mm -hmm. And I am, while I have a a very definite, clear vision and structure of how we're going to do this, I absolutely need their feedback and their buy-in and it's going to be a group discussion from the start. I mean, it's, it's all consuming as you know, I mean, like I'm not, I'm saying no to everything else, every invite, every, everything. This is going to be my life and for the next, however long it takes to get this right. Mm -hmm. And I think the approach is to bring my team in and have that buy-in, but also get their feedback this is this is what we're doing. I'm going to set that structure, but how we do it and the, the nuances of it, like that's what I need the team. And it's just, it, it's it's scary. You know, it's it's almost like a new evolution of the business, but it's it's the you know it's, it's what we have to have. And it leads me to my next point, which is what needs to happen. The next point is, a lot of people say part of running a business. The hardest part is that it's very easy to feel alone as a business owner, which I have never really felt that. And I don't I don't think it's been lonely. Like certainly in the beginning stages, I I I was alone, but not lonely. And I think maybe I just got very lucky with a super supportive family. Then I met you and we're going through the same things together. So it's just it's a whole different feel. I, that's a really real thing. And I think a lot of, if you were to ask a business owner, many, 
what's the hardest part about running a small business? I think 50% maybe would say the feeling of being alone. Right. Have you, ex do you experience that? Yes. Um, and certainly early on. So I'm going to go back to one thing you said. It was interesting about your team and the process that you're going through. There's an interesting formula. It's E equals R times C. It's efficiency equals right times commitment. And the, the core is the more committed you are, the, the less right you have to be. So I would say in those meetings, what I would be looking for is while you're talking about your, you know, your strategy and you're going to do this and, and, you know, you're in the weeds on the tactics and all that piece. What I would really be looking for would be a really high level of commitment, because as long as your team is highly committed, then you can be a little off on right and still succeed and still be successful. And that's because you can pivot at really high speeds and get to where you were going to go as long as that commitment level is there. As long as you're all moving in that the same direction. That's right. That's right. Yep, absolutely. Well, that commitment would have you very closely aligned, right? And and if you do have to make a high-speed pivot, everybody's right there for it. And and um, then you can move towards right, even if you missed a little bit at the outset. It becomes less important the higher the commitment level is. So that's something I've always been really aware of because by <laughs> we've, we've gotten um, more wrong than we have right. Um, to start, I would say that we've at least gotten 51% of them right ultimately, and the big ones even a higher level, right? Because you're you're trying to miss the bombs. We talk about all the time. You know, I'm just trying to miss the bomb here. I'm out running this. I'm out working this. I'm out thinking this. I'm just trying to miss the bomb in the short term uh, to get to the other side, whatever that looks like. Uh, feeling lonely? Yeah, I, th I think at times I just think it's the idea that you know if you're at the top, if you will, right, of whatever that means. If you're at the top of Google, that's a, you know, a, a rather large pyramid. Um, you, it's just, you know, the idea that there just isn't anyone really left around to pat you on the head at times and say, you know, good job or nice job. I think that would be the only thing that would have a lonely at the top feel to me, but, but not really. I mean, I've always been surrounded by great people that I let in and, and, uh, cared about. We were, very aligned on the on the mission, and we were friends too. You know, our first VP of sales, Paul Appel, very aligned, did it together, had a lot of fun, um, and had a lot of similar experiences personally and business. So I always had people that I could turn to. Uh, fortunately, built out a great war room. So you can, while it is easy or you could be in that position, there are things that you could do intentionally to miss that. One is build out a great war room business um, that would also then evolve into personal friends too, or you could lean on them for more than just tax advice. Or, you know, you could, you could ask them a question about, well, I know you went through a situation with your son, your daughter, your whatever that would be. And then that allows you to feel less alone in some, in certain moments. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think the reason I probably feel the way I do is because I met you and, and maybe, you know, that allowed me to do what I've done. I, I don't, yeah. I'm sure I'd be singing, saying something completely different, but because we have each other and we're able to have these conversations every single day, that's probably a big uh, reason I feel the way I do it. And also, I think I've probably never been afraid to seek out people for help or I've learned to do that more and I've learned to do that first before right. last, yeah. which has been a huge learning curve for me, but I've never been afraid to do it, yeah. which, which has helped. The only thing I would say, and this isn't at all being lonely at all, but that I really am missing is the ability to find great female leaders in the industry that I'm in. Not required. I mean, we're all, as business owners, we're all going through a, a lot of the same things, regardless mm -hmm. of the industry. But that would or, or the gender, right? Or I mean, the gender. Yeah, sure. 
Uh, yes, but it is it is different, and you do face different things, and s- certainly females in male dominated industries face different challenges and I've become so numb and used to a lot of them but it would be cool to have some you know some other females in the the exact same position which is really actually really hard to find sure um, that could could relate and that we could talk about those things. So that's the only really thing that's missing. Not not lonely. Two yeah. different things. Or adjacent industries. I think, you know, I talked about Adjacent, manufacturing, sub, yeah, manufacturing auto, some, I, you know. Whatever those male-dominated exactly. industries would, would be. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, look, I mean, one of the goals here is for us to, you know, this demonstration process or talking about what we do if, if uh, it were to draw more... Uh, females to either one construction or manufacturing both both industries would be better off by having more different types of people in them for sure yes so what do you think i think the trajectory of small business and what small business looks like with ever-evolving technology and different things i think it's going to look way different in maybe even 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years i think it's going to have a much um different feel. I think you're still going to have a lot of big companies, but I think there's going to be a lot of outsourcing, a lot of consulting, a lot of people that are able to run a business by themselves with the tech. Like, what do you see as the evolution of small business and uh, in, in general? I think the, uh, we're already seeing this huge disruption now. And, and I think so many of the walls have been broken down for access. If you go back, I don't know, 20, 30 years, only the largest companies had access to certain types of resources. IBM, Xerox, I'm throwing some big names from some some of which are around and, and relevant, Kodak, not so much. Although there's been a lot of Kodak conversations recently, and this ties into what we're talking about, you know, the number of references I've heard to Kodak recently as it relates to chat GPT and the idea that Google had AI, you know, they were the leader in AI four years ago, just like Kodak had digital photography first and shelved it. They're like, ah, you know, who wants that anyway? And the comment that I heard today from a former Kodak executive was, it was like all the flash bulbs stopped at once. And there was a huge disruption today. There's a company called Chegg that uh, our daughter, you know, we've bought books from Chegg for study guides. Chegg stock opened up 40% off today because someone just realized that students are using chat GPT as a source or an aid or a study guide. And Chegg was the direct, um, <laughs> took the, or, or assailed because of that directly. So I think, you know, the fact that everybody now has access to these types of resources, whether it's AI or, you know, whether it's Khan Academy or Google or YouTube, right? The, the ability to learn real time whenever you want, right? I mean, real time all the time. Uh, I think it's going to continue to break the wall, the walls down. And then if you look at costs, that's the other piece too. So the accessibility to these technologies and, and things like that had a couple of different barriers, right? One was cost. Um, or just where is it? You know, how do I get my hands on it? The, the the sheer exact idea of access. And I think those walls are just going to continue to be um, torn down. And then if you throw in the, the productivity component and really the personal productivity component, I mean, I don't recall anybody railing about office, right? Microsoft office, the way they're railing about chat GPT. 
But if we stopped and looked back, I would imagine, I, I would suggest that Microsoft Office and the HP desktop printer had as much effect on business as chat GPT will in the foreseeable future as what it did to taking out back office. Um, you know, the, the lengths you had to go through to print something. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. You know, now you have, what do you want? You want to print a, a, a blueprint? You want it this big? You want it that big? You want it on a label? So... It, I, just, I don't know. I'd be curious to roll that back and be a fly on the wall as Office, Microsoft Office started to invade big companies and and all and Excel and what happened there and you know rooms with you know the size of our offices with with com- computers. What did that look like in comparison to how we're experiencing Chat GPT? I think the difference is we're much more aware. And listening to um, the CEO of, of Google the other day, his big point was the difference between this AI and what went on then is our awareness of it. So I think that might be the only difference. But I would say small business, whatever size it is, productivities should continue to go up. Um, you know, if, if that two or three or four hours you used to spend writing a thing, whatever it was, a blog of this or that, is now being generated 90%, 95% by a tool like ChatGPT, what do you do with that two hours? What do you do with that three hours? You know, what do you, what do you, what do you take that and how do you deploy it and what do you deploy it towards? I think that's going to be the difference maker in, uh, in breaking out some of the small businesses and have them being effective despite not having some of the resources yet of the big businesses. Um, you will see this could, this could, uh, this could do heavy duty damage to Google, for example. We'll, we'll see how this plays out, but I think it's it's uh, the ability to disrupt is better and bigger than it's ever been. I just think as I'm sitting in this chair and you're talking to me, I'm talking about my show. I had to bootstrap and I had all this financial risk and all this. Maybe 10, 20 years that goes away because you're talking about those barriers, the accessibility, they're going down as technology is going up, which makes it easier for people to start businesses, makes it less risky, I believe, uh, in different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can... the. I mean, there's no getting around like there's it's the money component. You could easily start a business with at your fingertips with the resources that are out there. I just think what I would say now versus what I will, would say in 10 years, there'll be different problems over sure. here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they'll be it'll look different and um, it, it'll be exciting. I love the fact that more people are going to be able to you know, start something, whether it's full time on the side or just with less barriers to entry. Yeah, I think there will be, you know, will will AI and and products that are involved AI take out certain businesses? They will. Sure, they will. And I think going forward, there will be businesses that use AI and there will be not those businesses anymore, right? You're going to have to use the tools and leverage the tools. But the other thing that is still encouraging to me is that, you know, at least now chat GPT, for example, you know, it derives its intelligence, if you will, um, by backward looking, by scraping data that has already been posted to the internet, things that we already know. So as long as you're on the creative side of, of the quotient, then I like your chances, right? You're still going to have to outcreate. You're still going to have to do things that are new. And if you are, there's nothing for the chat GPTs of the world to scrape because you're already, you're doing it for the first time. That'll be the differentiator, I believe. Yeah. And I think one thing that, that scares me a little bit about it is, as I'm saying this out loud, is taking the collaboration piece out a little bit. 
because people can do things on their own. But I still think at the end of the day, that collaboration piece, no matter how business evolves, is going to be important. And it might look different, Mm -hmm. but that collaborative relationships, I mean, that I don't I don't I just don't see that ever going away. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Mm But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I just don't see how that could ever not be such an instrumental part of and critical part of who we are as humans from an evolution standpoint and just something we've always needed. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, we're still mammals, right? You're not going to yeah. you're not going to undo this much evolution. I hold on to that belief. Yeah, and and uh, I think, you know, the relatability piece you said. Yeah, I think I I would still like to think that it'll still be the relatability component of the information that stays attractive. And if it does, then we won't, you know, there will still be that feel component and that'll still be what's attractive um, more than just, you know, data exclusively for the sake of data that you'll still have to position it in a relatable fashion for it to be more attractive than other choices that you'd have. That's what I hope. For anyone that's looking to start a, maybe this is a good good topic to end on, and uh, somebody that's looking to start something, a small business, or maybe just a business, because I will tell you, my intent wasn't, oh, let me start a small business. It's like, let me start a business and see where this evolves. <laughs> right. So I love you start a like, big business, start a big business. I'd, I'd I highly recommend it. Would that. you? I'd, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. But th- would, so seem let's say start a business and let it evolve where it goes organically. Start a business. Um, what what would be your your advice to them right now in this moment, under this envi- in this environment under these circumstances? One piece of advice: go start, start. Don't don't wait. Start. You know, if you, if you think you've identified, we talk about some of the checklists, right? That sacrifice piece. Very, very uh, uh, intentional about that because I think that's some things that are overlooked. And if you miss that and you get in the moment and you realize that the sacrifices are more that you can stand or the business can stand by virtue of you being one person in the business, right? You're together because if if you can't hack it, the business has to fail because you're you're tied um, undeniably to each other. So I would say start. And and uh, it's easy for me to say though, right? I understand. We talk to a lot of people that you know they're they have kids or you know they've got these aspirations and they think they've got to figure it figured out. You know, we're addicted to Shark Tank, for example. And I have and and the people that come on there, some have already quit their job. Some are. Still so working multiple jobs as they're trying to get this over the hump, and they're there trying to find an investor to uh, to help lighten the load or support the load so that they can make that full leap. But you know, my my suggestion would be start. Mine would be first, which I've already said, is get really introspective. You've got to first be so aware and honest with yourself who you are and what you want. If you've gotten past that and said yes. I want to start a business. I would have always said, you jump in full on because I personally could have never had a side gig and started my business. I still, to this day, there's no way I could have gotten up and running as fast as I did had I not done that. I mean, it was required sure. working endless amounts. But I just heard a statistic the other day which says I'm very wrong and that most the majority of small business owners that are successful, it was a majority. I would say it was like two thirds, something like that, which is a majority, but um, had a side hustle or side gig or continued working while they were starting their business. And the ratio of those businesses are more successful. 
again, I don't know. It, it was a, from a good source, but who knows what's the truth and, and where are they getting this, this data from? Sure. So I would always say jump in full because that's the only way I know, but I'm not sure that's the best advice. And the other thing would be it's going to be messy and you're going to get everything wrong and keep going. And I laugh because one thing that really helped me along the way was to make the business look bigger than it did. So I remember when I meet people, they're like, oh, I thought you were huge. I mean, I would talk about we I made up email addresses of like, here's Tim at Tagler. <laughs> and just I mean, truly, like these yeah. are these were like the little things. And you might be like, well, that's, you, you know, that's you're leading. No, I was I was doing what I needed to do mm-hmm. to make the business seem legit and bigger. And so just you can do you can put implement these things and put them in place while you're getting started so you feel credible so you feel confident and these are just always it's going to be messy but just say and you, you, I look back and laugh at it some of it but it was it was so crucial to those early early starts so I could get into all all the hysterical things I did looking back well good we will then, yeah we will. exactly I think there's one great takeaway is that there's no one right way that's a good part Yes, exactly. Good. Well, when well, that way. happy. Uh, I mean, happy. I've got the right way. I feel like, but I'll just. Well, you're here. So you, <laughs> yeah. got, you got enough right, right? Yeah, you got the best. You got the majority of it right, even oh. if that's fifty point one percent. Yeah. Well, happy small business week. Yes, happy small business week. All right.